Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. The Cover 2 Resources podcast is an ongoing series in which we interview experts in the fight against opioid addiction. It is made possible through donations and sponsorships from concerned individuals or organizations. If you want to help in the fight against opioid addiction, please consider donating or sponsoring the Cover 2 podcast. Go to cover2.org for more information. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources, and I'm here today with Ken Hawkins. Ken is a recovering addict and alcoholic as well as the founder of Really Recovered, Jesus is the Answer. His story is one of an incredible transformation that began with drug use at the age of 11 years old. And 26 years later, after numerous run-ins with the law, miraculously, he turned his life around. And today, we're here to talk about Ken's story of hope. So Ken, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Okay. So let's start at the very beginning. Take us through how you happened to start at, at such an early age. Basically, when I was around 11 years old, um, I don't know if it was curiosity or what it was, but uh, it started with stealing drinks from my friend's dad when he would fall asleep on the couch um, and leave a beer out. Um, I started smoking cigarettes. Um, at 11. At 11. Yeah, we found a pack of camels on the way home from school in the park mm. and uh, and started smoking cigarettes. And as silly as that might sound, people say that's just cigarettes. I remember having a lightheaded feeling from that when I did that sure. and, and, and doing more of that. So whatever that void was or whatever that was I had inside, I, I tried to fill it with things like that at a very, very early age. Um, by the time I was 13, I smoked pot regularly, daily. Uh, by the time I was 14, um, and we and we drank too. We would steal alcohol or try and get older people to buy it. Me and me and a few friends. Um, and so by the time I was 14, I was taking LSD. 14. Yep, 14 years old, and uh, I was taking LSD. Uh, I was even selling LSD, and um, and, and it kind of just progressed from there. So, uh, coke by 16. I uh, dropped out of high school in 10th grade, selling drugs. Um, and so by the time I was 16, I actually had uh, robbed three places, uh, committed three aggravated robberies in a stolen car on Christmas Eve at 16 years old. And so, so yeah, so basically I like to explain it as like I hit the bottom in the basement and used the jackhammer and kept digging from there. It mm. just got worse from there. So when did you start <clears throat> using opioids? Okay, so opioids, probably when I was about 14 or 15, I, I snorted heroin. Um, I didn't do that daily, uh, but that was part of just, you know, our 
my partying or whatever when I would be out using. Um, sometimes I would do so much coke and then I would do some heroin to come down or sometimes I would mix them. Um, so probably, uh, let me think, probably five years ago I started um, – I was on painkillers and I used a lot of painkillers, a lot of Vicodin and stuff like that. Legally prescribed. Yes, legally, pre- legally prescribed at first. Um, I had an infection that I had got, and I almost lost my my leg. I had a staph infection, mm-hmm. and by the time I was, you know, I was a tough guy. So by the time I went to the hospital, <laughs> I uh, it was pretty bad, and I was hospitalized for days for that. And and eventually the antibiotics started to kick in, but there was a lot of pain there, and there was a lot of pain after the fact there. Um, and I still have pain in that leg today. Um, what's interesting is I've managed that through exercise, actually fatiguing the muscles in that leg and stuff. Mm-hmm. It, it helps me to manage that. Huh. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I was on, I was on prescription painkillers and then I would always use my prescriptions, you know, faster than I could, than I could get them filled. I, I didn't do anything in moderation. Um, I was always, uh, trying to fill like a void I had inside. Which, you know, for guys like me who who left home at an early age and ran away and, um, and and my parents were good parents. They provided a good home. I just turned from it. And they tried to introduce you to religion. At, yep. You were 13 years old. Yeah. And... So, so it was before that even I think they started taking me to church. But by the time I was 13 years old, that church had had enough. Of me, <laughs> they told they pulled aside your parents and told yes. them, "Hey, get him out of here." Yeah, they told they told him that they could come back. My parents were big contributors, I, I believe, to that church. But um, yeah, they told them they could come back, but they they didn't want me to come back. Um, and wow. part of that was uh, I didn't follow the rules when I was there. I would go to the woods next door and hang out in the woods by myself and stuff. And then, you know, I just had this. I guess kind of I was kind of like the rebel there for the youth group and stuff. And the other kids seemed to be attracted to that. To be honest, I wasn't I wasn't really attending anyway, and I I don't know it was what it was. But but I know that having that happen, it did give me a sense of like if there is a God, he he doesn't want anything to do with me because you kind of somehow you lump that with a an event that happens on Sunday that's called church, you know. And what I've learned is that uh, when when Jesus referred to church in the Bible, it's actually um, translated from ecclesia, which is a gathering of people, a movement of people. Church is actually the body of believers, you know. So it's more than just an event that happens on Sunday. So you mentioned rock bottom yes. and your rock bottom <clears throat> a little bit more, but let's get into that specifically. You <clears throat> blew over 50 grand on drugs, and you at that point had a mindset of, I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah, so leading up to that, I had um, I had went on a methadone program to try and manage my opioid my op- opioid use yeah. I was shooting up all the time you were shooting at this yeah. point how oh, many yeah. times a day um probably a gram twice a day to just manage it's roughly a couple hundred dollars a day to do that 1400 bucks a week yeah how did you afford that so i'm a pretty good salesman even now i sell uh waterproofing that's my my job that I do along with full-time ministry. Basement water. Yes. Yeah. That's what I do now. Um, and that's what I did at the time. I've done that for a couple of companies. I sold cars at some at one point before that, uh, leading up to that. That's how I found out because I worked construction growing up, uh, you know, after uh, 17 years old on. You had to work. I had to have money. You know what I mean? You have to support uh, your addiction and you're trying to maintain a normal lifestyle anyways because you know what that kind of looks like and you're trying to achieve it. So this is how this happened with the money. So on the methadone program, um, I immediately got a pay raise. 
because I wasn't spending that money well, anymore, sure. right? Yeah, yeah. So I started, uh, I got a safety deposit box and I started just dropping that same money that I would spend mm. and then some constantly in the safety deposit box down at the Huntington Bank. And I just filled it up with hundreds. And I had more money than I could load on prepaid cards. Huh. It was amazing how it had trained me to make this money to, to have this, to support this thing that I didn't have to support anymore mm-hmm. once I was on this program. Yeah. Um, Sometimes all that cash is a trigger. Yeah. So, as you know. So this is what happened. So I, I, I wanted to taper off the methadone right away. I did not want to. I met people with the methadone program that had been there for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, and that that wasn't freedom to me either. So, uh, you know, I was... Looking at, like, I always wanted to be free of this thing. You know what I mean? I didn't want to be tied to having to put something else in my system, too. So I started to taper, and I tapered at the fastest rate possible. Um, it seemed to be going good. It really did. Uh, I didn't I, I didn't have sickness or anything like that. And then when I had taken my last dose, I don't know if it was mental as much as it was physical, but it, uh, yeah, it, it, I, I got sick. I... I went through withdrawal when I came off of that. Um, and so uh, what, what ended up happening is I decided uh, maybe I should go the other way and go on to some coke and stuff, you know, with my heroin. And that would level me out. I don't know what kind of reasoning went into that. Basically, I, I, I realized I came to the realization that this I was just like, this is my life. This is just what it's going to be. And if this is what it's going to be, then I, I didn't really want to. I didn't really want it. So. I figured that I would go out in a blaze of glory, like you said, and I just emptied that box out over three months, doing everything I could. There was times I didn't sleep for 14 days, 16 days at a time, putting coke in my body and 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 then putting heroin in my and putting whatever. I would just, you know what I mean, and drinking constantly around the clock. Um, and what ended up happening is uh, one night when I was out. Uh, trying to pick something up, I got arrested and I got in a fight with eight Akron cops. And uh, yeah, eight Akron cops, we had a brawl over in Akron and um, I ended up getting arrested, uh, got out on bond and uh, was sitting in my living room in the middle of the night, uh, drinking a fifth with a pocket full of dope. And looking around at my life and where it was and realizing I wasn't going to die from how I thought I was, you know what I mean, from this overdose or whatever I was trying to accomplish. Shocking um, that I, you didn't. Yes. I, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, and I can't explain that because I know a lot of people that, uh, that uh, have, have overdosed and several overdoses and um, that never happened to me. It never happened, no matter how much I used or what I did. It just never happened. Um, probably times I was close, but it just never happened. Mm-hmm. And, you either uh, got lucky or didn't get anything that was laced. Right, and I and actually I used to get the fentanyl. Like I liked the fentanyl, so you would seek it out. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely, Why? because it was more powerful. Because you weren't getting the effects off of the other stuff, and that's something that people don't know. Didn't and you? you don't know that unless you've been on the streets. That sure. you kind of get that story a lot of time from people. The the. I didn't know kind of thing. And maybe some of that is true, but you don't ever hear the flip side of that, of the people that a lot of times we seek the stronger stuff out. Yeah. We want the stronger stuff. Yeah. I knew I, lots of people that were looking for that. You know what I mean? I've heard that before. Yeah. In fact, they, they seek that out. Yes. And because that's where the good stuff is. Yeah. Yeah. Despite the fact that it's, you know, that that's Russian roulette in a big way. Absolutely. Um, yeah. 
So what happened is in that that night, about three thirty in the morning, uh, downstairs by myself uh, with a fifth and a pocket full of dope, I uh, became very angry that I was still alive, pretty much, and uh, and I uh, I challenged God if He was real, and 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 I know you're not supposed to test God, but I don't think He looked at it that way. I think He looked at it as me finally calling out to Him, and I uh, like I said earlier, I thought that uh, if there was a God wasn't sure I believed in God, but if there was one, he didn't want anything to do with me, right? And uh, and so I uh, I cried out to God and said, if you're real, come back and show me what to do. And uh, he said, I never left. And I immediately fell on my face on the floor and was in tears. And my life changed from that moment on. Um, I went a month after that without touching anything. I tried to to drink and tried to get high about a month after that, and I just couldn't do it. There's a lot of people out there that'll hear your story and they'll not be able to wrap their heads around that. Why you? Why then? And why not them? So yeah, I understand that um, everybody's transformation or everybody meeting Jesus will not look the same as as, as it did for me, um, and I, I get that. That and I never want to leave people with that thought that it has to look that way or it's not the real deal. This is what people need to grasp onto. In that moment, in my heart, in my soul, I was willing to do, to surrender my life to Jesus. If he was real, I was willing to surrender my life to him. It wasn't just a thought. It wasn't just a, I'm in jail, get me out of here kind of prayer. If you are a real kind of thing, something inside of me was to the point where it was like, okay, I give up. I completely give up Show me what to do and I'll do it. I had reached that point inside where I was willing to put, you know, humble myself and put myself aside and, and not rely on myself anymore and, and and surrender. But a lot of people can do that in a moment, in their weakest moment, reach out for help that way. But as soon as things improve, then they slide back into their old habits. Right. Why are you different? How come How come that didn't happen to you? The best way I can explain this, we had a, a, uh, a party, a really recovered party on Saturday. And I delivered a message there and it was about, uh, it was from the Bible. And it was about a blind man in Mark who Jesus healed. And um, the first time he heals him, he can see, but things are blurry. And he's like, I can see, but I can't see everything clearly. And then Jesus lays his hands on him again, and he can see everything clearly. And um, when I delivered that message, I delivered that in the way of that's a lot of times what happens with addicts and alcoholics, right? They they do that in that moment, and they settle for just improvement, and then they, they think, I got it. I'll take it from here. Uh, they're healed. The fact that he didn't have 20-20 vision was irrelevant. He was healed. He couldn't see, and now he could. Right. Mm -hmm. And he had to stay with Jesus and he had to, to remain with him in order for him to make things clearer and to, to completely. So here's the thing. Salvation is instant, but transformation is a process. Right. And so and so I think that's a huge that's a, that's a perfect example of it. It's like he was instantly healed and could see. But complete restoration and the complete transformation was a process. Um, and we, we get a little bit of, you know, our circumstances improve a little bit after we're not using or whatever. And then we want to run off and, and take it from there. And we don't want to rely 
on on Jesus anymore. We don't want to rely on God anymore. We want to take over and we want to take back control. And the minute we do that, you know, we're running around half blind. So, okay, so I get the salvation, the instant. Yes. So I want you to walk us through that transformation process, that transformation process then that was kicked off at that moment for you. I started to just think a little bit different. Like my my thinking started to change. I can't completely explain the supernatural. But if you look at what's going on here with this problem and this epidemic of heroin, it's a supernatural problem. This is a spiritual problem. Um, and anybody in a 12-step program or anything like that or a treatment center will tell you that, that there has to be this, this higher power that you need to find in this spiritual transformation. In fact, the 12th step, having had a spiritual awakening, that is the thing. And so, and, and so the problem is, is that I think we peddle that you can have any God you want or that there's a whole bunch of different ways to a God um, and a God of your understanding. Um, and see, so what really recovered is, is we're the church of the really recovered. We know that, you know, lives are only transformed through a relationship with God, through Jesus. That Jesus said, I'm the way. Uh, nobody gets to the Father except through me. So if you want to experience that supernatural transformation, that's the way to do it. The foundation, the very foundation and the possibility of your recovery, it's right. only possible due to your newfound and deeply felt faith. Yeah. But that has to be just one dimension of your recovery. Speak to all of the other aspects that you have in your recovery program. At Really Recovered, is, um, we have small disciple groups. We have a men's disciple group on Monday nights, and then we have a, a women's on Saturday. Um, and it's not just for addicts. I mean, we are the church for addicts, by addicts. It's the first one like it. Um, however, if anybody's been affected by it, uh, we have a lot of people, spouses that aren't the addict, that have addicts for spouses that are a part of us. So we have a whole a whole community of us that that would support each other. Um, however, yeah, we don't have we aren't your, we don't do your typical uh, recovery program. We just don't. I, I I don't have that in place. There aren't sponsors and stuff like that. Um, we have found we we have structure to our to our disciple groups and our structure actually is five parts. And so we do one on one mentoring through that. Okay. okay. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, what the, the parts we take them through is salvation is number one. Uh, part two is uh, your identity in Jesus. So it's your identity. Once you have accepted Jesus, once you've surrendered your life to Jesus, who you are now, uh, now that you're a child of God, um, versus your self-perception. So you have your self-perception list, how you see yourself and how you think others see you. Mm -hmm. And we get to, to combat that with who you are now that you've accepted Jesus. Mm -hmm. so, um, so that's part two. Part three is your uh, confession. So you do a sins list. Sins committed against you, sins committed against others, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and then you confess that with your mentor or whatever. And that's biblical. All these are biblical straight out of the Bible. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, it's from James, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so you can be healed. Mm -hmm. That's part three. Part four is forgiveness. This is a huge thing. Mm -hmm. So um, what we don't want is people to get caught up on um, that you need people's forgiveness. Mm -hmm. You can apologize, but if they don't forgive you, then what? If any kind of transformation or any kind of moving forward is based on somebody forgiving you, you can't control that. Mm. So just like David said in the Bible, all sin is committed against God, right? And so we are forgiven 
and forgiven people forgive. Uh, and we can go and apologize to people, but what we ultimately know is that that once we've surrendered our life to Jesus, that we're forgiven, right? And then we can move forward from from that from that moment. So we use our sins list and we go through that and, and go through a forgiveness process. Uh, that's part four. And then part five is discipleship. So basically we carry the message of Jesus. Like our foundation statement is um, really recovered exists to help people find their true identity in Jesus and to share the gospel. And we know that lives are truly transformed through a relationship with God through Jesus. And then we actually end that with, do you want to be well? And the reason that we ask that question is because that's a question that Jesus asked at the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5 when the the man was laying on his mat for 38 years. He'd been laying on his mat for 38 years um, ill next to the pool of Bethesda. Jesus walks up to him and the first thing he asks him is, do you want to be well? Um, And that's an important question because a lot of times I'm sitting across from addicts or alcoholics and and I'll start there (laughs) because you'd be surprised how many go, no, they don't. You know what I mean? Interesting. Yeah, no, you hear actually, that. I don't. You I hear that sometimes. Yeah, I've been there. So, and what you do in that situation, you still love them. I still pray for them. Lay my hands on them if they let me and pray for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I give them our contact information. We are here for you. We will walk with you. And that's what really recovered is. You know, we, we are meeting people in their mess, on their mat, like Jesus did. So let's go back for a second to uh, the point where you are today, two okay. years over two years later, okay. and you've uh, founded. A new church, really recovered. Yep. Take us through the steps because obviously you didn't have a religious background at all. Growing up, you you weren't you got kicked out of church. Right. So so therefore, take us from you know there you are rock bottom to how you ended up in the last two years to where you are today. After what happened in my living room, Mm -hmm. I was on a sales call, and um, I went out to somebody's house to look at their basement. And I sat down at their table and we were going over numbers and they mentioned uh, something about their church and they invited me to their church. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, And and I wasn't sure I was going to go. And I told my wife, maybe we'll go. Um, They had invited me to a church over in Bath. And uh, in my laziness, me and my wife looked up to see if there was a closer campus because <laughs> I didn't want to go travel that far. So I was like, we Which looked is, up. Uh, where was where was here versus there? Where where were you traveling from? Uh, Wadsworth. Wadsworth. So I was in yeah. Wadsworth. Okay. It's okay. not super far, yeah, yeah, but yeah. That, I'm okay. like. 15, 20 minutes. I wasn't whatever. sure I wanted to go yeah. back into a church, right? Yeah. And like, look, sure. I had met Jesus. I, I had a relationship that had started. Um, but. But like I said, my thinking started to change, and I was like, maybe I should go check that out. Um, and it wasn't by chance that that happened. So we we looked up uh, another church with the the same name almost, and we thought that was a campus in Wadsworth, and so we went there. And it was a church called Grace and Truth in Wadsworth. Hmm. Uh, we go to this church. I start hearing sermons, and basically what it was was just ultimate confirmation of who God was for me. You know what I mean? Like who God was it? It was just ultimate confirmation of who God was that, you know, my experience that I'd had in my living room was the one and only God, the God of the Bible. It just put everything into place and was like ultimate confirmation. For you, getting involved in it was validation of everything, everything that you experienced and it just, okay. And instantly, almost immediately, um, there was other people that had struggled with addiction or whatnot and they ended up... uh, I, I don't know how to explain it. They gravitated to yes. you, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. they yeah. did. They gravitated. Mm-hmm. It was it was supernatural. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they wanted to have coffee and they wanted mm-hmm. to discuss and, you know, and like. How'd they find out? 
Um, well, you know, I got we got baptized there and, and shared our testimony. Okay, on, so you told everybody. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. I was. I, and, then, and, and then they flocked. And to that's you. huge. Yeah. So you got indoctrinated with a formal church, and then at some point you made the decision to found your own church. Yeah. So this is what happened. Uh, somebody made a joke and said I should write a book, and I said, well. Yeah, I'm definitely not a writer. I dropped out of high school in 10th grade, right? So I'm like, uh, I wouldn't even know how to figure out what a title would be. And uh, in the middle of the night, that night, I woke up at 3 a.m. And I had the name really recovered in my head. And uh, I went to go type and I got one page in. It was a really good page. But after that, there was nothing more. And it's actually turning into kind of what the intro will be. Um, and so to our – because we have a, a loose structured book that we use for our disciple groups and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I took uh, took the – it started to turn into like a ministry. I felt called to – it's more than this. It's not a book. It's like a ministry. We need to reach people and, like I said, carry the higher power that truly has power. Mm-hmm. It's such an important piece of anybody being able to recover from this. It just is. It's an important piece. And like I said, I'm not anti 12 steps at all or any of that stuff. All good things. But I feel like can be a waste of time without this piece. This is the piece that they say it all. Even that blue book that I'm very familiar with after 17 treatments, uh, the big book, talks about this constantly. Talks about uh, it doesn't say you have to go to meetings or you'll use. It actually says there was less relapses during the war when there was no sponsors or meetings. That's because they had God. Hmm. So uh-huh. so what advice do you have for others who are in the same place or a similar place to where you were two years ago struggling with opioid addiction? Like you said, you can say this stuff and maybe people aren't willing to, to hear it right then. When you talk about Jesus and you talk about uh, the God aspect of this, um, and so what I encourage people to do is come see for themselves. And that's why this thing has been what it turned into and God's building and Jesus is doing what he's doing with it. He's making something tangible that people can come and see for themselves. Where would they do that? Um, so where is it? It's in Wadsworth. Um, it's in the we hold the the men's group and the women's group. Uh, the men's group is at 8 o'clock on Mondays, and there's going to be more that we'll be adding. And the women's is uh, 10 o'clock on Saturdays, and it's on uh, it's at 297 High Street. It's actually in the um, community rec room at my complex that I live in. So we hold it right there. Um, yeah, I mean, and then once a month we have a party. Um, we're looking to plant eventually like a more solid foundation of a, of a place. Um, and see, here's the thing. I know everybody's transformation might look not look like mine. And I, I usually hold back from sharing that part in the living room in the middle of the night exactly how that looked because I never want to tell people that this is how it has to look or it's not happening. Um, but we've had several other people that had their transformation maybe didn't happen the same way as mine. But like, you know, guys that OD'd that, that were brought back to life from Narcan and stuff and um, and, and came and sat and surrendered their life to Jesus after checking us out and seeing what's going on. And they're, they're doing great. I mean, they got respectable jobs and families and wives and things are happening. You know what I mean? That transformation happens. It doesn't have to look at the same as mine. Um, you know, 
it, it can be different for everybody. Uh, how Jesus transformed you, that's on him. You know, I can't explain it. So you've met and worked with a number of people where you've seen that, you've witnessed that transformation in them. We've had over three dozen people um, surrender their life to Jesus and transformation. Lives are being transformed, like, right, for, like they're new creations. And so, so for all of those 36 people, how many of them have relapsed since then? It's not to suggest that relapse is failure. It's not. It's oh, in not many at all. cases, it's part of recovery. So I'm not throwing that we question don't out celebrate. to ask that as no. a point of whether or not your program is successful no. or not. And but as a point of reference, you know, versus a traditional program, we know that you're probably looking at 75% or 80% are going to relapse, right? We haven't had that number. We haven't had that number and like we're young still. So I don't know as as we grow and we get larger, uh, we'll see. Yeah. But like I said, we don't ever – that's a big part of it too is that we don't base our success on numbers. So we don't celebrate time. Mm. We don't celebrate time hmm. because, um, you know, <laughs> what's interesting is uh, the characters in the Bible and, <laughs> and the characters that were used in the Bible, they failed at times, but that didn't keep Jesus from calling them and using them. Um, you know, Peter gives me great hope. I mean, he did the ultimate at the end. He completely denied that he even knew Jesus when Jesus was about to be crucified. And when Jesus came back to life, he called the disciples and Peter. He called Peter by name, yeah. you know. So we don't uh, – we just don't do that. We don't celebrate time and that's not a bad thing. We celebrate Jesus. So we, we celebrate the answer. Jesus is the answer. We don't identify just with our struggle, you know. Well, Ken, this is uh, – I've really enjoyed our, our session here today and uh, it's been really, really informative and, and um, kind of a different – given me different insight and our listeners, different insight into recovery and a recovery process that um, I, I think is quite, quite an inspiration. So what else would you like to share with our listeners before we conclude here, uh, maybe about recovery or about how they can make a difference in the opioid epidemic? Um, so uh, what I would like to share is to not give up. Um, that if you're still breathing, that God's got a plan for you, that, um, he's not done with you, um, that there's still a purpose for you. Um, and, and, and then I always encourage people to come and see for themselves. Like, I don't expect people to hear what I say here today or hear what I say anytime and take it on just my word. Um, Come and see for yourself. Uh, what I like to explain to people is, you know, those dope houses that I used to spend so much time in selling drugs and doing drugs, they're probably still there today. And if they're not, there's one down the street. So that's always going to be there. Don't be afraid to come and see for yourself. Um, if you don't believe God's real, you don't believe in Jesus, come and see for yourself. You can go back there. That's not going anywhere. But here's the thing. Once you meet Jesus, I've never, never met anybody who's really met Jesus. And in the Bible, you don't see anybody who had ne who's met Jesus that their life just wasn't changed. They were never the same after. So I would encourage them to come and see for themselves. I would encourage them to come to our, our small groups. I would encourage them to come to our party. Uh, we advertise it all over Facebook and it'll be on the website. Um, come and see for yourself. Um, that misery and all that stuff, it'll be there for you if you still want it after you meet Jesus. Tremendous. We'll end on that. 
Thank you so much, Ken. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. We've been visiting today with Ken Hawkins, who's a recovering addict and alcoholic, as well as the founder of Really Recovered, Jesus is the Answer. My name is Greg McNeil. I'm founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for joining us for this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. With your support, the Cover 2 team can continue to research and broadcast these resources to others in need. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.